So we're talking about a people empowered, a people empowered. In this season of disruption that's occurring, uh, end of the world talk. I don't know if you've seen enough of those. People are now preaching about Revelation, saying like this is the end times and all this kind of stuff that's going on. We need to remind ourselves of the identity that God has placed upon us. He's placed upon us and that he's placed within us. And so when things get crazy, the best wisdom that I've been offered to me is get simple. When things get chaotic around our worlds, you make sure the main thing is the main thing. And I feel like this series is coming back to the main thing of what we are wrestling with. As a nation, there is a spiritual war that is occurring right now. And I'm so thankful um, for the women of this church that have been praying every Thursday night. They've been praying into the political time. They've been sending me text messages of the stirring. I, I got to walk in on one of them one time and they are just passionate for what God is doing. And we need to step up in this season. We don't need to shrink back. We need to step up into what God has called us to. You are an empowered person. Can you say that this morning? I am an empowered person. Let's say it together. I am an empowered person. God has called us to be empowered, to be light, to be salt of the earth. There's this quote that Billy Graham has. Billy Graham once wrote this. Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have reoccurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of a nation today is that of men and women who profess Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome that even a generation ago, Billy Graham noticed a fracturing in the society of America. That what we face today is not something that has just happened. The fracturing and breaking of the need for the Holy Spirit in this nation has happened long ago. And we are just living in the fruits of a nation that has not turned to the Holy Spirit. John Scott here said this, what we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? But there's this endless need for more that we all face in this world, right? You have a desire for more. It is a God-given thing for you to want more. Psychologists and all people around the world have talked about a void in our hearts that we need this more, this more. Uh, you know, psychologists um, have said more love. We need more love. We need more significance or we need more security. And I would argue in this moment that we are consumers, that we just need more things. Have you ever found when stress comes into your life, you just want to buy that new thing? <laughs> Hello? Um, have you ever found when stress comes into your world, you just need to... How many people are purchase stress buyers? Whenever you get stressed, Amazon is a click away, and you begin to start clicking, oh, this looks pretty good. Oh, for ladies in the house, shopping, therapeutic shopping, how good does that feel? 
There's this world that seems to be sought after us, that we need the latest and greatest, the latest iPhone, which, can we talk about this for a second? iPhone 11 to 12, what's the point? Like, it looks exactly the same, but yet somehow they portray it that it's the latest, fastest phone, that it has 5G internet. So what? I can still get on the internet. It's got a sharper screen. My eyes, I don't think I can quite see how much sharper it really is. My phone does the job it needs. Yet, yet, there is this need for the latest and greatest. There is this void that the world is quite happy to fill for you to have that thing, to need that thing, to be sold on that thing. And this is not, uh, not in the church we experience these longings as well in the church. And rarely do I find, and even in my own life, am I searching for more of the Holy Spirit. I haven't heard someone say, man, I feel so depleted. I need some more Holy Spirit right now. As opposed to clicking that button or watching that Netflix show or just escaping, rarely do we say, you know what I need right now? Holy Spirit. And it's an issue that if we want to see a turn in the church, if we want to come alive and be the people which God calls us to do, that the world is yearning for sons and daughters to be who they've called to be. And if we are not stepping into that place, if we are not letting the Holy Spirit, because you have eternal desires. Before sin, you were meant to live forever. And when sin came into the world, we became finite, we had death. So we have these eternal desires which cannot be met by things of man, but we can only be met by eternal things, and that is the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be looking at the book of Acts um, through this series. Uh, The book of Acts is the accounts uh, showing the power of the gospel. Gospel fueled by the Holy Spirit. It cannot stay put It cannot be chained. It cannot be stopped. It must spread and keep moving. And as the gospel spread throughout all of that known world, it began renewal. We saw equality of men and women. We saw different races come together in community. Different economic structures where slaves would eat at the table with rich people. That there was this coming together and such a renewal brought uh, disruption. To say that Caesar was not God, to say that Jesus alone was Lord, was radical and you would be killed for that confession. And so with the renewal of equality and that Jesus is the risen Lord came a mass amount of disruption to this. And so the book starts in Acts with a remnant of people But it ends, and if it really does end, because we are still living out the book of Acts as we are bringing about the Acts of God. As we saw it start with a remnant, it exploded over the known world. Communities and pockets of people gathering together, falling in love with Jesus. And so the book is called the Acts of the Apostle, but really it's the Acts of the Spirit through broken and weak people. There are no heroes in the Bible. There are no heroes in the Bible. Even the Moses and the Davids are not heroes. They are just broken people and God showing how amazing he is. That he can use these people and choose to highlight them for his glory. 
And so for all of us, that is a challenge. It is not about your greatness, but it is about the spirit within inside each and every one of us. So if you would turn with your Bibles to, we'll go for chapter, Acts, chapter 1, sorry, Acts 1. And we're just going to read through the verses from 1 down to nine, uh, 8 sorry, today. And we're just going to read through this. But our main context of this whole series is on verse 8. And so let's read this. In the first book, O Philophis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is Luke, the gospel writer, continuing on the story in the book of Acts. Until the day when he was taken up and he was given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, still again, the disciples are still wanting to see this manifestation of the kingdom of God, to see Rome overtaken. Is this the moment, Jesus, where we're going to crush? Still in their minds, they think the kingdom is meant to crush here and now in that moment. But he says this, and I think this is very timely for all of us to take hold of. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed on his own authority. It's not our role to work out when he's coming again. But our role is but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Can we pray this morning? Father, we thank you for this word. God, I thank you for your greatness. Lord, that you are on your throne right now. And you're laughing at what the enemy is trying to do. Lord, that you are in control of all of this. You are in charge of this world. And so, God, we just realign our eyes to you right now. We focus our attentions upon you. Holy Spirit, would you guide my path today? Lord, as I minister this word May it stir something fresh and new inside of us. God, we feel stale. We feel depleted. We feel burnt out in our hearts. We know it to be true that we need something new. We know in our hearts that we feel this lack. And God, as we just remind ourselves and reorientate ourselves around the truth of this scripture, would you start a fire in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Love this last line of the verse. And as I said, Acts 1.8 is our scripture verse that we'll be running through in this series. But you will receive. Receive is the part one message of what I'm going to talk about. Kara next week is going to be talking about uh, power next week. But you will receive. What do we receive? The gift, 
the Holy Spirit, is a person and the person of God, a promised gift from God. In the book of Joel, Isaiah, and uh, Ezekiel, there is this promise over you know, 800 years before the Holy Spirit came, there was this promise over and over again in the Old Testament that there would be a spirit that would pour out on people, that it would envelop inside of them, that no longer would there be this separation between man and God, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Him inside of us would live. Right, Mara? Amen! Does that not excite you alone? And I think as we go through this is that we don't understand what we have received is the key to why we live not with an amen resound because these men and women would have lived for 800 years or even beginning from the beginning of time that one day there'll be this pouring out of the spirit. There are things in your life that you have not yet seen fulfilled. You have visions, you have plans and when those visions come about, how do you get when that happens? Do you become excited? Do you do a little dance? Do you jump up and down? Can you imagine these people that cried out to a God because they heard of him but did not know him? We don't understand that because we have the spirit inside of us. We don't understand what it's like for them, but we need to not forget what is inside of us. And so this promise came to fulfillment through the living death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he had to go be with the Father, that he could send his spirit down to us. And on that amazing day on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit come with flames of fire on people's heads and speaking in tongues. What a cool service that would be if suddenly we had fires on the top of our heads. For some of you, fire extinguishers are just over there. We would be freaking out in this moment. But it is a one-time moment, just like the resurrection is a one-time moment. This is also a one-time moment. We don't need to look for the flames of fire on people's heads anymore because it was an impact once moment that God wanted to breathe the Spirit into the world. And I imagine the first time the Spirit came into the world, it would cause some disruption. It would cause a complete shift in the way that things happen. And so, just to uh, kind of give an illustration of this, um, I've got a little illustration area here, just if you're wondering what is going underneath this little sheet here. But when the Spirit came upon the people in Acts chapter 2, Peter, who had denied Jesus, came back to Jesus. Boldness proclaimed this. Peter, filled with the Spirit, said this, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's this action that happens. We come to God. We say, God, we surrender to your name. We say, Lord, we want to turn from our ways. Baptism and then the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. Now, it would be nice if that was the same order every single time, but it is not. In fact, a lot of times we see people saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, then baptized. 
There's no formula to the way that the Holy Spirit works. And I think this is the problem we have as Westerners. We want a nice box of what you've got to do to get into heaven, a nice set of boxes on how you receive the Holy Spirit. And can I just squash that right now? That there is no one way to how you have the Holy Spirit feel that you are exerted through the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul's conversion... He was blinded because he was persecuting the Christians. He was Saul. We remember this. Jesus came and said, why are you persecuting me? Made him blind for three days. And then Ananias came and laid hands on him. Didn't say to him, do you surrender to Jesus or anything like that? He just said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And boom, his eyes were lit. Then he was baptized. There are stories over and over again. There is no method to the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul says fervently over and over again that we are sealed as children of God by the Holy Spirit. You are a son and daughter of the Most High by the Holy Spirit. So when, in fact, we do our salvation calls, we should literally say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you have turned to Jesus, now you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I know this doctrine that we have in the charismatic Pentecostal world is that you are saved and then you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They are two in the one same thing. That when you receive Jesus into your life, you are marked and you are never the same again. You don't get saved, wait a little while, receive the Holy Spirit and then get baptized. It doesn't work like that. When you are filled, you are imprinted by the Holy Spirit. And that is an amazing two-in-one gift. For all of you salespeople, you get two for one. It is a good deal. I love this definition from Simon Ponsonby from the Book of More. It says this about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Constantly, repeatable, deepening experience of God's Spirit, who brings a greater revelation of the person and work of Christ, a blazing love for Christ, a greater and more effective empowering witness to Christ, a transforming conformity to the character of Christ. Does that say anything about speaking in tongues straight afterwards? So often I grew up in my uh, experience, and maybe this will cause a cold sweat over some of you as well, that when you were prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you were all sorts of laid on of hands, and it was a shunda, and it was she came on a Honda kind of moment, and you were like, come have the Holy Spirit. It would have been an altar call, and you would have been like, God, I want the Holy Spirit. Some of you may be cold sweats right now. For me, that was. And then in that moment, they would ask, okay, speak in tongues. And you'd be like, what? What do I have to do? And you start trying to do some tricks with your tongues just to appease the people around you. But for some people, it's like, I can't do it. Did I really get filled with the Spirit? And so we look at one instant in the Bible, and we qualify everyone by it. When this definition says that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit... When you are called a son and daughter, the first and most basic thing that you know that you've received the Holy Spirit, you, 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 your affections are turned to God. That's the basis. Like suddenly you don't want to do things that you wanted to do. That means that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That's the baseline. You cannot turn your own affections to God. There is nothing within you that turns towards God, but the Holy Spirit ignites that inside of you. And there are manifestations. There's speaking in tongues, prophecies, healings, all these amazing works that happen. But it is not just one way. And so for you who have experienced that trauma, I am sorry. And I think it's something that we need to eradicate in this church and the church is that the Holy Spirit is a person. We're going to be getting all into that in a second. That he is not a life force, something you can throw around. That he is a person and he really does care about you. But I love the word Lebano receive. It means to take hold of. And my message, really the theme today is how you receive a gift matters. How you receive a gift matters. And so, just with my first illustration today, how many people like Hershey's chocolate and a good bit of milk before you go to bed? So, we are milk. I'm sorry if you do not like milk. But we are milk. Poured into us today. And so, I'm going to call the Holy Spirit Hershey's. I don't like Hershey's chocolate, but actually your syrup's pretty good. And so this is a great combination. So what happens is we come upon our life, we give our lives to Jesus. People online, if you can see this. So we dump in the Holy Spirit, a good generous dob of Holy Spirit right there. And so, and so we see this. We see this, Holy Spirit. So what happens is when we get filled, when we give our lives to Jesus, we are dumped with the sweet nectar of Hershey's syrup chocolate. Your preference of choice, if you have another, that's fine. Insert that. And so what happens is, is that there are a couple of things that happen. There are some people, and we know what has to happen. There has to be a stirring for the action to happen. For some people, when they receive, it looks like, man, I just don't feel like I've changed. And slowly, as we have the encounters with God, we are slowly stirred. We are slowly stirred. And we begin to take on the chocolatey goodness of the syrup. And so we are transformed. For some people, it's a radical encounter. I'm talking like Paul conversion. And it's just like a real vicious like turnaround. And suddenly, everything in their lives just change. It's night and day, right? We all have different stories to this. This is good. Taste it. That's a bit chocolatey. Whoa, that is good, strong. But this is how it is. When we receive a gift, there are different stories, but you are transformed. That is the net of the Holy Spirit. And so to take hold of it means to be stirred every time. That we as Christians want to continually be stirred with the gift inside of you until you are all chocolate, baby. Until you are all sweet and good. Pour it in more and more. And so this is what we want to see in our lives. But we think, man, I need some more syrup. You don't need more syrup. You are given the fullness of the Holy Spirit. When you ask for the Holy Spirit to come into you, you have the fullness of Christ, God's Spirit, poured and doused inside of you. And what you need is a stirring. You need to surrender yourselves to the stirring. I was at a praise and worship event, and it's all good intentions, but I think we get the doctrine wrong. We always say, man, we need a fresh baptism of the Spirit. 
There is one baptism, but there is many stirrings. There is only one baptism of the Spirit, and that happened in Acts. We don't need it to happen again. And so often I think in our charismatic experience, we just want God to keep pouring it until it changes color, rather than the work of what we have to do to co-labor with God to receive what the chocolatey goodness is inside of us, right? Amen? Oh, you came alive. Oh, my gosh. Whew. So I need to do illustrations to get a clap. Okay, I'll get this. Okay. Um, so, but this, 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 is, this is what it is. We, we become lazy because we just want to have the download. We just want to have the fix. When God says, no, no, I've put everything I need inside of you and I want to stir you. Would you surrender your desires and over day after day, week after week, spending time in his presence, being with a good father, we become chocolate. There we go. So this is what it's all about, to receive the gift. Have you ever received a gift that you didn't understand the value of it? Did you ever receive a gift that you didn't understand the value of it? I find it funny when parents give their you know, one or two-year-old this antique, extremely expensive toy. I'm like, what are they going to do with it? They're going to love it when they're older. But what about now? If you gave a child this antique, there was a porcelain doll or something like that, they would wreck it. They would blow it apart because they do not understand the value of it. Think about a story when I got saved. And I have a funny conversion story. It's a typical kid inside a Christian home conversion story, right? Um, my aunt, I was six years old, so I'm into all sorts of, like, not what she wants to give me. But she gave me a VHS, VHS, we all know VHS is in this room, VHS of Moses, the life of Moses. And so I had this, and at six years old, this is exactly how it went. She gave me the present, I looked, oh, this looks like a game or something cool. So I opened it up, and it was a VHS of Moses. I was like, thank you. I'm just going to put this back in the VHS, where the rest of the VHS is on. My mom caught this, and she was like, uh, uh, uh. You watch that right now. So you have to go, okay, and put it in, and put it in, and put it in. He played, it's been nice. Oh, yeah, it's really good. Okay, thank you. That's awesome. So for some reason, I came back to it a couple of times. And in that moment, on the third or fourth time, I saw that, you know, that the 10 signs of what God did. And on the last one, the firstborns get killed. And all sorts of fear overcame me in that moment. I was like, I'm firstborn. What happens to me when I die? And suddenly I had this come to like God moment. I ran to my parents. I don't want to die. And I don't want to go to hell. I don't want the angel of death coming after me. What do I have to do? Not a great conversion story because there's all sorts of wrong theology right there that I had to work through because as I said before, I went up to altar calls for at least two years. I was in a Christian school. So anytime an altar call came up, I was like, I've done something wrong. I don't want to die and have the angel of death take me. Jesus, save me again. So it happened over and over again until a teacher caught me and said, you're already saved. And I was like, wait, so it's a one-time deal? She said, yeah, you're being worked on. Okay, sorted. But I did not understand the value of what was given to me in that moment. In that moment where I just thought it was just a dumb present that I had to love because it was my aunt's present, I did not realize what the transformation that it began to ask, these questions of life that I never would have asked. I never valued the present that was given to me. There's this story, um, and it's a well-known one. There's a story of an old man on his deathbed. He gave his son a 200-year-old watch and said, I want you to take this watch, 
and go to uh, the pawn shop and see what value, take it to the clock shop, see what value this, this clock is worth. And so he takes it to the, the pocket watch, to the shop, and the guy looks at it, and he's like, ah, it's, it's pretty beaten up and battered. I'd give you like $5 for it. So the son sees that and goes, okay, walks away, comes back to uh, the, the, the dad who's on his deathbed and says, they give me $5 for it. And uh, he said, okay, I want you to go to, maybe go down to the, like, the local coffee shop and just go see what you can get for it. And so he went down there, the coffee shop person looks at it and is like, no, I don't really have any use for this. I don't, you know, I don't understand what this is all about. I'll give you like three bucks for it maybe. And so they take it back. He goes back to the father on the deathbed and uh, they said, okay, I want you to take it to the museum. Take it to the museum and see what it's worth. So he went to the person, the, the character of the person, the manager there, looked at it and was blown away by what it was history of who this watch was and who it been with and the stories that were linked to this he said this is worth a million dollars so excited the son goes back to the father this is worth a million dollars i love his response the father laid his head back closed his eyes and said i wanted you to experience for yourself that the right place and the right people will value your value in the right way and know your worth Flip that around. God died for you. Jesus died for you. And he put the most precious gift inside of you. Is the most precious. He is the only one that can be offended. God doesn't get offended. Jesus doesn't get offended. But Holy Spirit, if we have anger in our lives, all those malice things can offend the Holy Spirit. Why would you put something that gets so offended right inside of you? Because he trusts you. Because he values you with the greatest part of who he is he puts inside of your heart. I think that's amazing. Do we understand the value that is inside of us? Do we pursue it like an antique watch? Or do we just forget about it and think of it as a $3, $5 cheap gift? When if it's worth dying for, if Jesus had to die on the cross and be with the Father for this gift to come about, if life had to die, if God had to give himself so that you could have this gift, how priceless is the gift that is inside each and every one of us? I don't think we understand the value. And I'll show you why. Ephesians 5.18, this verse says it perfectly. Do not get drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, second illustration for you today. We'll take this one off now. Okay, so we have two jars here. Do you know what? I've missed a piece of my illustration. Let's use this for a second. Improv. So you are now this vessel. So, can everyone see this? We have a blue container. We have water, pure. This is the world. And so we ourselves, when we are in the world, we are filled with the world. We are born into sin. We have this inside of our lives. And so what happens then, as we become saved, as we become filled with the Spirit, we begin to fill 
with new and living water inside of us. So again, another misconception. If we treat the spirit as a force, as a liquid, we talk this phrase, which this really convicted me about how I talk. We leak the Holy Spirit. You do not leak a person. You don't leak a person, but you are always like a sponge. Imagine yourself as a sponge. You are always being filled by things. So if you're in the Word, if you're encountering God, you are being filled by living water. If we pursue and value that, we will be filled with that. But often what happens is, is that we want both worlds, right? So we want to be filled with the Spirit, and we want to live in the world. We want to experience all the stuff. We want to drink the wines um, of the world, and we want to experience life, and we feel diluted. We still are living in and of the world. So it's a great analogy of the wine. I love the idea of this concept of wine and spirit. Both do the same thing, right? <laughs> Too much of the spirit, you know, you start losing a little control. Same with the wine. You lose a little control. I would argue that many of you and for many of us in this world, we are far happier to get drunk on the wine than on the spirit. We are far more happier and easier for us to just pick up a glass and whatever that glass is to you, whatever that, that thing of the world is, we're far more happier to begin to let that be drunk instead of the Holy Spirit. And that's because two things. I either think we don't value the Holy Spirit, we don't see it as the answer, we don't see it as something that will fulfill us, or we're scared of the Holy Spirit. He is the most misunderstood um, you know, unknown part, but yet he lives inside each and every one of us. Isn't that strange? Like, we confess that we know more about Jesus, yet the Spirit is right inside of us. Jesus is ruling, reigning at the Father's right hand, and the Spirit points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is blamed for a lot of things. He's blamed for when the services go crazy. He's also used as a really good scapegoat for people, uh, for their ambitions. I really felt the Spirit lead me. Oh yeah, did you? <laughs> How did that work out? Because that's not working out so well. I'm seeing this change of flip and right, left and center. I'm like, I don't know. And so we claim that we know the Spirit, but yet we're still drinking of the things of this world. And it doesn't work when you try and link the two. God is saying, I want you to surrender all of who you are. And as we journey, because we're not perfect, right? You're not going to suddenly make this switch where we're going to suddenly want to have all of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gets that. But he's saying, would you begin to surrender? If we want to see the stirring happening in our life, it means surrendering to the water, the living water. And the two worlds don't mix together. It doesn't mean like I can have a bit of this and a bit of that. Now, as we grow in the Holy Spirit, as we grow in our relationship, passions and desires for the consumer things of this world begin to die. I'm not saying those things are wrong, right? I'm not saying that having lots of cool things are wrong. But when they become priority, when they become desire, when they become your fixation, that the living water just doesn't flow together in the same space. And so God is saying, I want to deluge you. I want to pour out my goodness. I want to pour out living water over you. I love that Paul says this in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is Paul who had a visible uh, vision of Jesus. This is Paul in the later parts of his life who has walked, who has bled for Jesus Christ. This is Paul who walked and was all about Jesus. Yet, at the end, towards his life, he said, I want to know him more. Do you have that value today? Do you have that value where you want to know him more? And if I'm honest, I don't know if I always do. I quite like the taste of the blue water. I quite like to sample it over what God is saying. But someone like Paul, who we idolize, who we lift up high and say, that is who we want to be. If him at the end of his life would say, I know Jesus, but I want to know him more. How much more do I need to have that in my life? How much do I need to make that the main thing? That this is the priority. That the value inside of me is way more worth than anything else that I can imagine. And I know you guys know this. I'm preaching to the choir. This is nothing new that you know. But yet I need to remind you. Because in this season, you are empowered with the richest source of life. That you are empowered with hope that goes beyond understanding. You are empowered with peace that goes beyond understanding. And what does the world need right now? You. It needs you to be the son and daughter. It needs you to be filled with hope when the world's saying, this doesn't fill me. We see the superstars suicide. We see suicide on the highest rise that it's ever been in this nation right now. We're seeing people lose their hope because it's all in this and it doesn't satisfy. But the living water does. And so can I encourage you today to find the value of the Holy Spirit? Second here. So sometimes we also don't understand the value of it. But instead of knowing the value, we try to earn the gift. We try to earn the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just a quick story here in Acts chapter 8, verse 14, it reads, Now then the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, and they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on them, but they had, not, had, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So they had been baptized, the order there. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now Simon saw that the Spirit, this is Simon, a magician, uh, mystic kind of person. He saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands by the apostles. And he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter knowing his heart, said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right with God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven to you. God is never a transaction. God is never a transaction. But yet we still come with this mentality, I'm doing this, how come you're not doing this, God? I'm living this way. I've tithed this month. I've given of my time. I've worshipped you. I've been a good person. 
I've done all the things. Why are you not doing this for me, God? And yet we're taught at a young age, right? You do well, you're rewarded. Like as my children, grades doing good, or if they're doing good, good job, we'll give them a gift. And so we actually emphasis this. Do good, receive good. And so we look at the gift of the Spirit in the same way. We say that this gift, I can buy it. Or I can have more of it. And I hate this teaching, right? Five steps to being holier. Five steps to getting more of the Holy Spirit. We literally treat the Holy Spirit like a transaction. If you receive this person's laying on of hands, you will have more of the Holy Spirit. How bizarre does that sound? That that person has more of the Holy Spirit to pour into you? Wait, you've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe that person needs to lay on hands to stir something inside of you. I get that. But yet we still treat it as a transaction. If I just have this, God, you will give me more. If I just live this way, God, you will transaction more inside of us. And so we treat the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, like levels. If I do more, I will receive more. And that is not it. It is a gift of grace given by a good father. We look at Luke 11, where the parable of the good father who knows how to good give, good, give good gifts, how he goes and gives good gifts. Though we are evil, how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Isn't that good? Like he gives the analogy of what a good gift is, and it is the Holy Spirit. The best gift in this entire universe is the Holy Spirit. He could have said anything else, but he said, how much more will he give? And I'm going to give you the answer of what you need to ask for. It's the Holy Spirit. It is a good gift. And it's found in the secret place. It's found in surrendering. It's found in the stirring when you wake up in the morning and you just say, good morning, Holy Spirit. It's in those moments where we switch our focus off our wants and desires, and we turn our affection to God. And just in those simple actions, we begin to reorientate, we begin to stir, we begin to see the chocolate Hershey come to the surface, and we begin to see the fruits of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control inside of our lives. If you want more peace, get more Holy Spirit. Surrender to Him in this space. So first one, we don't always understand the value. Second one, we try to earn the gift. And how, how rude is it when we try and earn a gift? Can you imagine if you gave a gift to someone and they tried to give you money for it? Like You'd be like, no, that's not the point. Like if every birthday you came to give me a gift and I tried to give you cash back for it, it would just be like, what are you doing? But this is what we try and live by trying to earn the Holy Spirit, by trying to seek right action rather than just being with him. Does that make sense? Can we do that? Can we live this way? Third and final, we don't ever share the gift. So my final analogy today, and this is my most precious one. For those who maybe know, this is Sonic the Hedgehog. And this is in fact the Sonic that I grew up with as a child. So this is my Sonic from when I was probably six, seven, eight, maybe 10, hopefully not acknowledging that. 16, last week, snuggling. Um, 
And my mother sent it over to me uh, because uh, Elijah and my kids are really into Sonic. This gift gave me so much joy when I had it. Um, I'm one of those kids that had that, that present. You know that trick that you do? The empty box idea. So we had like, I wanted a console, a Sega Master System I wanted forever. Um, and my parents let me unwrap the game first. And when I opened it, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, didn't show me the console, but I knew what was coming. And so there was this long phase of Sonic the Hedgehog. I wasn't a, a Mario kind of guy. I was a Sonic kind of guy. And so I grew up just loving this. But it became stale. It became something I didn't care for as I grew up, hopefully. That we looked at it and it just became something thrown away, like the toy story. That it just became lifeless. But Sonic has gathered new life now. He's traveled to me to America and now my children love it. In fact, Alicia, we're going on vacation next week. She packed it for Elijah. How good is that for a sister? I couldn't find it. I was like, where's my illustration? <laughs> I was hunting the house for it. She packed it. She's so thoughtful. But it is living new life. How good is it, though, that we, as the, with the Holy Spirit inside of us, we don't give the Holy Spirit out? The Holy Spirit is a gift to be given. As I said, the gospel goes out to this world. It doesn't stop. It is always moving. The Holy Spirit becomes stale inside of us when we hold the gift for ourselves. When we just let it sit and eventually we don't understand its purpose. It becomes useless and pointless and so we just discard the toy. We discard the gift and we say, what's the point of having this gift? We don't share the gift. And so the Holy Spirit is like that. If you do not share the gift, it becomes lifeless. If you do not share the gift, it becomes stale and it loses the very point of what the Holy Spirit is all about. It's causing you to be ignited for other people. To love God with all your heart, mind and soul and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. If we are not loving people with the Holy Spirit inside of us, the gift becomes stale. And I love that this is a, a generational thing, that my kids get to enjoy what I enjoyed. I'm sure for many of you, you have this story. You have something you want to give to your children. Are we giving the Holy Spirit to the next generation? Are we seeing where we've gone wrong? And are we going to make the priority be the Holy Spirit, that we want to be people that walk in the way of the Holy Spirit? I want to see the Holy Spirit be a generational gift. I want to see the Holy Spirit be given out of my life that it doesn't become sale. So, just as we close here today, the three points here. Receive the gift as highly valuable. Receive the gift as a gift of grace. Receive the gift to pass on to one another. Receive the gift as highly valuable. Remind yourself today that God gave of himself to put that gift inside of you. Receive the gift of grace. Stop trying to earn your way for more Holy Spirit in your life. I hate the phrase when people say this, they're more spiritual than me. The truth of the matter is they're more surrendered than you are. The truth of the matter is, is that they are willing to let go and let God into their lives more. There is nothing more spiritual about another person. It's just how much we choose to surrender to the stirring of the Hershey's chocolate inside of us. It's a gift of grace. And finally, the, receive the gift to pass it on to other people. 
value it, love it, see how it empowers you in your life and give it away to other people. So I just want to pray for people in this space. Is there anyone in here that has not received the Holy Spirit, have actually never been prayed for, have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is there anyone in this room that has never received the Holy Spirit? Because I'd love to pray with you at the end. If there are people who have not received the Holy Spirit, you may be too embarrassed to put your hand up, come see me afterwards. I want to pray over you. So all of us in this room received the Holy Spirit. This is good news. So, uh, Braden, if you just put the, just some music on there. I just want us, with every eye closed in this space, just in our remaining time, to come back to that value. I think maybe you find yourself and you're like, yeah, I've forgotten that the very spirit inside of me, the very power that conquered the grave, I've neglected that gift. I haven't seen it as valuable. I've seen it as just something that's along the ride for me. Maybe for you today, there needs to be a forgiveness. And say, Holy, Holy Spirit, I'm so sorry that I've offended you. I know that you're fully inside of me. And I want from this moment to decide today to value you. The very Spirit of God that breathed and hovered across the very foundations of the earth. That same spirit that touched Moses. The same spirit that touched David. That empowered Gideon to do amazing things. That very same spirit that caused miracles through Jesus' life. That very same spirit that breathed life and resurrected Jesus from the dead. That very same spirit lives inside each and every one of us. And maybe we don't believe that. Johnny, my life, I just don't feel the power. So today I want to say, would you surrender to the Holy Spirit again today? Holy Spirit, forgive me. Forgive me where I have not valued you, where I have not thought about you. Where I have not put you first in my life, that you are to lead me. And it's not just my good ideas or things that I think are good. God, we want to value you, Holy Spirit. We need you. You are the only life-sustaining source inside of us. There is no other source as powerful as you. There is nothing comparable to the power of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that fulfills our life like the Holy Spirit. Maybe today you've tried to earn the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've tried to do a transaction like Simon the Position. If I just do these things, maybe I'll get more Holy Spirit. God, we repent of where we've tried to manufacture, where we've tried to make you do things for our will so that we can do cool things. God, we don't want to be about that. God, we want to be about spirit-led people. Spirit-led people that do your will, your desires. Not my will, God, but your will be done. Holy Spirit, we come to invite that gift of grace again. Lord, we just want to receive the gift today to pass it on to another. Just right across this place, we just want to be still before Holy Spirit. Maybe just in your own heart just today, just say, I know you're here, God. I might not feel you in this place. Maybe I've got too much junk in the way. But God, I know that you are more powerful. 
I know maybe I've got a lot more wine inside of me than I've got spirit. But God, I want to flip that upside down. I want to know you. Like Paul, I earnestly want to know you. May you be the pursuit of my life. Holy Spirit, come. Just even say that. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.